Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is The Guardian. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. Welcome to the final word, Ashes Daily. I'm Emma John and I'm in London, staying up through the long dark nights of the soul that constitute an England tour down under, while my Australian colleagues, Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon, enjoy the Brisbane sunshine at the Gabba itself. There were times today when you wondered if this Ashes series was another one for the history books. Not as one of the great contests, you understand, but as one of those notorious tours where everything goes wrong for the visitors, like 1994 and 95 when everyone got injured, or 2013 when everyone got Mitchell Johnson. The signs were unavoidable. Ben Stokes bowled David Warner off a noble. Then he picked up an injury that even an English superhero couldn't pretend didn't hurt. 11 for 1 became 111 for 1, in that spooky, instantaneous way that your kitchen suddenly turns into a Moroccan souk in your dreams. Rory Burns, who can't catch a break in this game, couldn't catch Warner either. Haseeb Hamid missed a stationary five-yard throw to run Warner out when the man was actually belly down on the floor, his bat spilled from his hand. Warner refused to go down no matter what you threw at him, and Mark Wood was hurling grenades. As they dodged past his flashing bat, the stump mic sometimes picked up an, Oh, gee! Warner and Labashane were like a pair of cartoon belligerents at the crease. Marnus chewed gum and blew sizable bubbles through his grill, then tried to pick a fight with Ollie Robinson, some six inches taller than him. The pair constructed their stand of 150 across two long sessions and some particularly punishing overs for Jack Leach, before Labashane took one liberty too many and cut a ball straight to point. Still, the tea interval was coming up, and we all know how the English feel about tea. Whatever brew they were serving in the dressing room, it was clearly a heady one. Fun fact, previously, whenever David Warner has been out of a noble in a test, he's gone on to score a 100. He was on 94 when Ollie Robinson bowled the slower ball that stalled in front of him. And even though Stokes, too, stuttered on his way to collect the misfiring shot, the ball fell safely into his hands and Cameron Green was coming to the crease for the first time in Test cricket. Robinson's next delivery was the perfect length to hit the top of off. But Green didn't realise that. He shouldered arms as the bull prized bail from stump as smoothly as a bartender opening a beer bottle. And while there was no hat-trick to add to the Ashes tally, there was a new burst of speed from Wood and a follow-up wicket for Wokes. And the Barmy Army were finally heard in the land. This could have been the moment England forced their way back into the game. Instead, it was the moment that Travis Head decided to biff a runner-ball century. With a lead of 196 at the close of day two, Australia have enjoyed another perfect start to this series. And with that thought, I'll hand you over to Adam and Jeff at the Gabba. Day two at the Gabba. Uh, that was 
That was something extraordinary in a whole range of ways. It, it felt like the defining story of that day for me, it became Travis Head at the end, but early it was, it was the way that David Warner sometimes refuses to let uh, fate actually affect him. He just says, no, I'm going to make runs and it doesn't matter if you bowl me, it will be a no ball. It doesn't matter if I hit it in the air, you will drop it. It doesn't matter if I fall over on my face while coming down the wicket and then trying to turn back to get into my ground, you will miss the throw, Haseeb Hamid, from two metres away from the stumps at short leg that you could have gently underarmed. You will instead try to ping it overarm at the stumps and miss them. Like, what an extreme, like, pocket full of shamrocks kissed on the nose kind of day of fate David Warner had. It was it was it was vintage Warner. He's made four hundreds after being dropped. He nearly added a after being bowled off a no ball, sorry. Yep. He nearly added a fifth hundred to that tally today. As good as got to ninety four got them well into the lead. And and even though there was that, you know, it was almost a collapse. England worked through five for seventy at one point. And then it was Travis Head's turn at the end. Uh, it just felt like everything that could go wrong did go wrong for England today. Yeah, I'll start with a Haseeb throw that wasn't. I mean, I, I feel for him in a way, the reflex action at short leg in that situation is to ping the ball straight back at the stumps. What he didn't know is that Warner's bat came out of his hand and he could have walked over to the bales, but he but he wasn't to know that in that immediate moment. Talking to Chris Rogers on our commentary, he was sort of talking about days when he almost couldn't get out and Warner was having one of those, I mean, You've already mentioned the four times he's gone on to race three figures or beyond that uh, after getting out uh, bowled. Uh, there was Mohammed Musa Khan when he was in the 200s and he made 335 as well, but others, uh, Nassim Shah, Varun Aaron, uh, Tom Curran on Boxing Day in this series four years mm-hmm. ago. So he's got a habit of doing this. And look, Warner was far from fluent. He was playing leg side to wood. Uh, he's playing uh, resourcefully for a guy who's in his mid-30s. He's not quite the player he used to be, but um, he can still make the runs with the best of them. We saw that in the World Team. 20 as recently as last month and the, the partnership with Labuschagne was so devastating for England because it was scattered with opportunities. Perhaps the most profound of those was Ben Stokes castling Warner. It would have been 30 for two. I mean, yeah, Warner was 17, but 30 for two, that scoreboard pressure suddenly with Smith with Smith walking out, who later in the day was unconvincing. But 30 for two, Smith walking out is very different to Smith entering uh, when they're already ahead by 50-odd or whatever it was by the time that uh, Labuschagne finally made way. So, well, not, maybe not quite 50-odd, but you know what I'm trying to say. They were well, well and truly in the black yep. uh, by that stage of the afternoon. So, uh, And to me, it reinforced when, when they did get on a roll and Robinson gets two in two, picks up uh, Warner, and then next ball has Cameron Green leaving one uh, and getting bowled. I mean, that can happen. It was a lovely delivery. He left it on length and hit the top of off stump, the stuff you dream of as a fast bowler. It's 195 for five. Australia have lost four for 29. The same collapse, identical uh, same collapse that Australia had, or that Australia inflicted upon England rather yesterday to start the test match and there's a window of opportunity but they can't they can't climb through it uh, and there's a number of reasons for that which we'll go through through our conversation but it means that Australia were able to then put the foot down and by the end of the day it's Joe Root bowling with Jack Leach who was who was really taken to it's 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 Ollie Robinson injured potentially it's Ben Stokes who was clearly short of a gallop uh, in his first competitive game since July. And I really can't see any way out of this for England, given the next three days aren't meant to rain. 
Yeah, well, it might rain any minute. I'm at the Gabba and a very threatening cloud is coming overhead, so we'll see if I get drenched before the end <laughs> of this show. But a few things to note there. Jack Leach, 11 overs, 1 for 95, yeah. going at about 8.5 and, and over. Extraordinary. Um, Mark Wood, I'll come back to how well he bowled in a second, mm. but I need to take you to one of your pet topics, which is the front foot no ball. For the last couple of years, we've lived in a dream. We've had this beautiful world where the third umpire automatically calls a front foot no ball. Every time there is one, they buzz downstairs to the on-field umpire, say it was an overstep, and up it goes. Now, people were getting angry today because after Stokes got the wicket off the no ball, uh, Channel 7's Trent Copeland went back and looked at the footage and found that all four balls in that over were were no balls. None of them were called by the on-field umpire. They needed to be called by the on-field umpire because the tech that the third umpire uses to check front foot no balls isn't working in this test match. It wasn't working on day one, and so they haven't got it working after that because they had to revert to the old playing conditions that say Mm. that the standing umpire will adjudicate no balls and that in the event of a wicket, they can go upstairs to check it. The reason they don't do it every ball is because it takes longer to go to the broadcaster's cameras than it would to go to the dedicated front foot cameras that the ICC uh, are supposed to be in charge of. So not being able to check at every ball, they only check it when the wickets happen, which means they miss the no balls leading up to the wickets, which is exactly why we had the problem in the first place. (laughs) And it's just gone straight back to problem areas as soon as the, the technology's broken down. Yeah, it's a reminder of how important that technology is. Paul Rifle actually called a no ball the following over and we're like on our broadcast, hang on, what's going on here? And the reason we're saying Mm. that is why did we not know about this? Did the ICC hope they'd get away with it for five days? Uh, You know, it's a a, – I mean, the match officials really – uh, should acknowledge and front foot this so that people know what's going on rather than front Stokes bowling. According uh-huh. to, yeah, there you go. <laughs> According to uh, Trent Copeland's further analysis, Stokes overstepped 14 times in five overs. Now, I know that people will say, just keep your bloody boot behind the line. And I get that. I understand that logic. However, at park cricket or recreational cricket, when the umpires are actually watching the front line, you get told when you're close or you know when you're overstepped. The reason why umpires don't watch the front line or don't call front foot no balls that are close is because of the Adam Voges, uh, Richard Illingworth example in, in 2016. So there, there, there is rational logic to all of this and this highlights the, the error of their ways to have it. Well, they had no choice but to revert this week, but this is going to be a talking point through the test match because we can't expect umpires in the last 18 months having not called no balls to suddenly now have to uh, revert back to the status quo from uh, 2020 and before that. So a bit of a watch this space there. And I I suppose I just wish the ICC had told us about this and we didn't find out the way we did today because that wasn't a good look. Well, that was the thing is that we had to chase that information. You know, yeah. so there were several of us at the ground asking, you know, pushing and asking the questions in order to get the information, even though the match referee's box is next to the press box and you wouldn't have thought it would be that hard to, you know, get David Boone to tell us what was going on. Um, it took quite a while to get that info and we had to go hunting it. You know, it, it didn't, they didn't tell us what was going on even right. after the Stokes uh, no ball had happened. So that was one bit uh, that went badly for England. I mean, Rory Burns dropping a really simple catch at slip. He's got a hat habit of this. He put Warner down at third slip. He's done this quite a bit. I mean, talk about a miserable series. In indoor cricket sense, uh, he's he's on negative runs at the moment. Um, hasn't <laughs> been able to, to contribute in any way to the team. Um, miserable day for him. Miserable day for Jack Leach. It was it was just hard graft out there. The, the, the bright light for me was Mark Wood, who just bowled 
He did his job. He came. He, he bowled half of his deliveries during a couple of his spells were one fifty plus. He was just constantly firing it in. David Warner didn't like it much. It's not like Wood was headhunting him and, and trying to intimidate him. It's just that Warner couldn't get bat on anything outside his off stump because it was going through too quickly. Um, and you know, Wood ended up picking up one wicket, but it could have had more. But I, I loved the way that he tried when it was really difficult for England, especially through the middle session. Yeah, I mean, Warner was genuinely done for pace about half a dozen times. And he'd admit that. He's pretty, uh, pretty brash kind of guy. He would know that, again, I'm, I repeat this point about being 35 now. I mean, I'm not saying that he's on the decline steeply, but you notice little things like that. When a guy's bowling 151, uh, it's different to what it might have been five years ago for Warner. And that's fine. That's mm. just a part of uh, maturing as a player. He'll do other things better uh, the longer he plays the game for Australia. But um, Wood, I agree, exceptional. Used well by Joe Root. Battering Ram. Uh, he did have that beamer late in the day to Travis Head, but let's put that to one Oof, side. They, yeah. they they made up, um, they, they kissed and made up straight away there. Uh, Ollie Robinson was superb, really. I mean, the ball he bowled to Marcus Harris, that could have found an outside edge uh, a dozen times in his opening spell to the two left-handers. Uh, for mine, it, it's a reminder of why England should have bowled first, but I won't I won't bang away about that mm-hmm. any longer. But, I mean, when you saw that collapse <laughs> later in the day, when you saw Australia exposed, albeit briefly, uh, it was it was just a, a cue to go, well, hang on, imagine if they were bowling yesterday in even more favourable conditions when the pitch was brand new, but alas, it wasn't to be. Instead, they were all out 147 yesterday and, and already chasing the game. And then dealing with the two bowlers that did take some tap, or three of them did, but two in particular, particular uh, one Jack Leach um, we saw India do this to Jack Leach at Chennai in the first test match uh, earlier this year in February principally Rishabh Punt mm-hmm. I think he had 85 runs taken from his first 11 overs that day something like that he did bite back and take six for the test match I should say but um, the, the Australian set men in, in Warner and Labuschagne by the time Leach comes on they're put on 80 odd uh, he's on a hiding to nothing and they really take him mm. to the cleaners between I suppose that well it was an extended final session so that period often often can be in an extended session the last half an hour when you can see a lot of runs and and so it was for Leach in his three overs before the interval going for 35 I think it was and and Ben Stokes who conceded 50 odd from his nine overs and uh, and again he hasn't played a competitive game since July he bowled so nicely to start but then had that niggle and, you know, I suppose if you've got a small niggle uh, and we're not entirely sure what this niggle is, by the way, but a small niggle without Mm. a lot of match practice and not uh, much to go on uh, on the tour so far, that can become a big niggle. So that'll be a bit of a watch this space. And perhaps worse again is the fact that Ollie Robinson uh, went off the ground after bowling one over late. Uh, he was done for the day. So, uh, yeah, a bit of a watch this space in terms of England's bowling lineup. But, yeah, the fact they've got Broad and Anderson, who would have been uh, shaking their heads today, I suppose, uh, given the fact they've both been left out of this team and rested for next week. Well, I mean, the way things are going, uh, they'll be back in the team next week after Australia are going to record a thumping victory at the Gabba and they'll already be on the back foot Chasing this series as well. So, um, yeah, I think England have overthought this a little bit. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So, they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. 
The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit make these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S.com, code SUPER24. A note on Marcus Harris from the ABC statistician Rick Finlay. He said there are 233 players who've had at least 20 innings as a test opener. Out of those players, Marcus Harris on uh, batting averages is 233rd on the list. He has the worst ever average from someone to open 20 times. So uh, he needs something to change pretty quickly. Travis Head, look, it wasn't wasn't convincing at any stage. He basically played a shot at every ball, but England gave him balls to play shots at. They gave him wide balls and short balls and he just went for them. He threw everything at them. There were lots of edgy ones, lots of ones over the cordon, lots of aerial stuff over the onside, but 112 not out from 95. It, it doesn't matter how he got there. He's ensured that Australia are almost 200 in front and, and surely will, uh, well, can't go on to lose from here, you would think. No, or, uh, you're, if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll see me grimace when you said he didn't look convincing at any stage. I thought he looked super convincing from about 25 onwards. His first 15 balls, sure, absolutely. He could have edged almost any of those balls, to be honest with you, and uh, yeah. it felt like it, it could have been a, a brief stay in the middle. But he managed to keep scoring, and then from about 30 to about 90, he was exceptional. The way he was striking the ball, I was on air for much of that. Uh, A couple of those square drives were immaculate. And again, using Chris Rogers as a reference point, being a a fellow left-handed batsman, uh, his perspective is that you need to accept that uh, Travis Head will go through lean periods, but you need to also realise that he's a match winner. Uh, When he's on, he's an exceptionally gifted player and recording a century in 85 balls. Yes, uh, England were having a day in the dirt, but you've still got to achieve that. And, And he really did step it up you could see the emotion in his face and in his eyes especially when raising three figures he obviously won the final spot in this team over the more experienced Usman Khawaja he needed he probably needed to make runs in that final shield game for South Australia against Queensland he got a brisk century that day when South Australia were following on to consolidate his spot and and talking to Bharat Sundaration about it who watches Travis Head net over and over again he has noticed a, a far more positive disposition from him this year so it's almost as though he's surrendered to his game he's trying not to be what people maybe want a test number five to be uh, with lots of footwork. Instead, he's leaning into his disposition to to, to to cut the ball with such aggression. His square drives, I've already mentioned. And uh, when it comes off on days like today, uh, he's a massive asset for this side. And, and, and look, you know, he will now give himself all five tests in this series. There's no way he'll be replaced between now and the end of January, which means it's, it's up to him really now. Um, this was his third century in test cricket, but they're not going to drop him at this point now, given what he's been able to in, in, in terms of psychological damage to this England bowling lineup, they won't forget this afternoon and what Travis Head was able to achieve. So it's up to Travis Head what comes next, but I think this will be an important building block in what could now go on to be a long Australian career. The final word Hall of Fame 
is where we pick the most final word moment of the day. Adam, for me, it was we talked about the near run out from short leg. It was it was the fact that when Warner lost his bat, yes. he rolled over onto his stomach and then he tried to swim freestyle <laughs> back down the pitch to get back into his ground with one glove. Now, I've only seen two players swim on a cricket pitch. Jofra Archer did it after the World Cup final in 2019 when everyone else ran to Joss Butler. He just ran off on his own and then lay on the ground and started swimming for some reason. It was beautiful. You know, this this one lone figure in a, in a deep green sea. And then Warner today was just, you know, like he was hammering for the line in the, the closing 10 metres of, of the 100 at the Olympics. He was, he was thrashing his arms and legs trying to get back. He still wouldn't have got there had Hasib just underarmed gently at the stumps. But it was beautiful to watch. That was my Hall of Fame. Yeah, mine is going to be the anti-Hall of Fame. I'm sorry to do this, but England 14 overs short of their allotment. I'm not going to bang on about it. We've done an mm-hmm. entire show on this about six months ago. But you know what? They'll probably get the mm-hmm. standard slap on the wrist and away they go. But 14 overs short. Not good enough. What do you do to fix it? Well, we've gone through that already. There are a number of price signals uh, that they can send out to make sure that teams get through their overs. But uh, again, Mm -hmm. not good enough. Frustrating for all involved. And there'll be no mechanism to make up their overs because that's the way it goes. We've just burnt those overs in this test match. And yes, we're a long way advanced and it probably won't affect the final result here. But uh, yeah, there's something awry here and it's getting worse year on year. Player of the day, maybe it's Manus Levashane because we haven't even talked about him because he made 74 so calmly that it let Warner be ropey and weird and give chances and all the rest of it at the other end because Manus was just calmly assembling runs, played a few lovely shots to the boundary, you know, driving away uh, square of the wicket on the offside. But no muss, no fuss, another big half century, didn't go on to that huge score, but um, has started his series off on the right foot. Yeah, absolutely. I think Labashane, until he got out, uh, he was peerless. Uh, and we've seen uh, how much he loves the Gabba. At one stage today, he was averaging in excess of 100 at test level on that ground. Uh, he's a He's going to end up He's going to end up with an astonishing test record. Uh, He's just getting better and better. And yeah, when he got out, it was so against the grain. I couldn't believe it. I was on commentary at the time. I'm like, how's that happened? The ball after uh, launching Jack Leach for six back over his head, he just got a one that bounced a bit a bit more but it didn't detract at all from uh, the contribution nor the partnership with Warner uh, those two love batting together they love batting together at the Gabba which they did so wonderfully uh, two years ago against Pakistan so yes despite the fact that Head was uh, uh, the highest scorer and he'll continue tomorrow who knows what he might achieve I agree I think Labashane was the most important player on the day it is hot, steamy, humid uh, at the Gabba. It's about to tip rain on my head. It's windy. I've had to <laughs> tie my hair back with my accreditation. Uh, my camera's about to fall over. It's going to be apocalyptic, and it might be so for England tomorrow as well. But we will be back on this show on day three because we're here every day for the Ashes, the final word daily. Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. We'll see you next time. Good night. for today thanks from adam jeff and me for listening we'll see you back here tomorrow if you like this episode don't forget to subscribe it was produced by joe coning and the final word is produced by bad producer productions and edited by dave collins the executive producers are gabrielle jackson and melanie tate